so dad i think we missed one youthful vehicular accident you were on a motorcycle and you flipped the motorcycle uh some at some point in hamilton ontario and maybe you could tell me that story yeah okay this was 1960 so i was 20 years old and for the first time in my entire life we had money Welcome to episode six of the many near deaths of John Heisinger. John Heisinger is my father, and he has almost died a great number of times and in an unusual variety of ways. In our immigrant community, everyone that was working, all the money we made was contributed to the family pot. We simply never had our own money, and there was nothing we needed to buy. We got fed at home, our parents bought our clothes for us, and so in the end, You'd get a very small allowance, and then you'd how, get... How much? How much was the allowance? There, It wasn't a set amount. We had to tell them why we needed money. And things like buying soft drinks or eating in a restaurant, that was just, you didn't even bring that up. So what would be acceptable uses of allowance? I had to have a new jackknife. Oh, okay. So that would be like maybe a buck and a half. What about taking a girl on a date? Uh, no, this was before we were 20. And so... So you weren't dating before you were 20? Well, I don't, 19, believe, I was dating. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> no, man. They were bound to keep us virginal, no matter what. This was the number one priority of a Christian-informed parent. Make sure you're... Your son or your daughter never gets laid until their wedding night. So, so both that was true for the sons and the daughters equally. Seems like it was equally true. Hmm. Okay. So, so then of course the other thing we would get on Sundays, if there were two collections during a church service, my mother would give us each two dimes to put in the collection. So. Yeah, we've we've. <laughs> <laughs> that we've got, we covered this story in a different episode. That's right. We we had ways to sort of get it back, and so because we had our own money to spend for the first time ever, my brother Cecil and I we buy two used 
police bikes. Wait, I, I missed the part. Why do you have your own money to spend? Because my parents decided that because it was the whole system was slipping once we got into Canada. And and because everybody else had their own money, all the Canadian kids had their own money. And all of a sudden, it's no longer they 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 feel like they're they're on shaky ground to enforce this. So their parents yeah. felt that. But everybody felt that the whole community by 1960. Now, we've been in Canada 12 years. So now we we've been told we can keep our own money. Right. And this is from like working at a tobacco harvest yeah, or at the garage or okay. Yeah, I'm working at a garage. So my my brother Cecil and I, we buy two used police bikes. Okay. Motorcycles. Motorcycles. Yeah. So these are Harley Davidson and they're seventy four cubic inch engines. These are the biggest, noisiest Harley Davidsons money can buy. Why were the police driving Harleys? Oh, because they're useful. Because uh, the provincial police are driving highways. They don't do that today so much, but but they can keep up to cars, and they can they can outrun cars, and and they're just in the cities. It makes sense because they can wheel through traffic in a way that a car can't. But they, at that point. The Ontario Provincial Police had motorcycles. Did so? Did Harley Davidson motorcycles at that time have a different cultural association? Like they weren't motorcycle gang outlaw. Didn't have that image. That whole uh, association, that image comes out of the out of California in the 19, early nineteen fifties. Ah, uh, okay. And and Second World War vets get onto motorcycles and create gangs. However, back in Canada, which is a little more behind the times and a little more civilized, we we <laughs> we don't have that yet. A little bit, but okay. not so much. Okay. So this is not the Ontario police trying to like have a specific image. They've just chosen the most powerful motorcycle available to buy at that time. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. So then, of course, we get the bikes, right? Well, I mean, for young, testosterone-fueled young men of 1960, uh, uh, this is a a dangerously subversive thing. And, of course, we're onto it, right? So so on a Sunday morning, Cecil and I would drive our bikes, and we get good on them, right? And we would wheel into the churchyard, and when you hit the back brake, the bike goes sideways. You'd hit the back brake in a cloud of dust, and there's the two bikes, perfectly parked side by side, right in front of the door, in front of the church doorsteps. And what did the church-going members of the community think of this type of entrance? Well, they didn't tell you because it wasn't obviously immoral, <laughs> but they didn't like it. <laughs> So that they radiated silent disapproval? Yes, right away. So, but we didn't care. So, so then, but the whole thing is that a combination of big, powerful motorcycles and youthful bravado and testosterone just spell trouble. And you know what? We were lucky we survived those three motorcycle years. So, so one Sunday afternoon, we're driving along the escarpment. It's a 500-foot drive. To what? It, it runs along the edge of the escarpment in, in, in Upper Hamilton, Ontario. 
So there's a road and there's a big a cliff on one side. Yeah. Okay. Drop on. And this this road kind of curves to follow the escarpment, so it's a good motorcycle road. So then at one point the road goes downhill and it goes around quite a sharp bend and it's bent. The the engineers have banked it. Well, that road is just made to take at high speed, man. High speed to where your foot pads kiss the pavement. And so we're turning around there, and my body is basically, you know, level with the road. So bike is on quite a lean. And then my front wheel hits a patch of something slippery. And that bike goes (coughs) crash. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm sliding on, it slides on the roll bars. They had big roll bars in the front. Oh, so your leg wouldn't get crushed. So now, you put your leg up against the engine, and you just ride the thing till it stops. I've been here before. I was born with it. <laughs> <laughs> However, what happens is the bicycle, uh, you have no control, and, and the bike is heading straight for across the road to the escarpment. And I don't really have time to think. But what, incredibly, what happens is the front wheel hits a wooden post and bounces back onto the road. There's a wooden post once every 30 feet. So <laughs> and that, there's no railing or anything? No, there's two. And the, those, those posts are every 30 feet. And what they do is they hold up a cable, two cables, oh. to prevent cars from rolling over. But if the motorcycle had missed the post, I would have skidded underneath, and it would either uh, behead the driver, and and then after that you plunge a hundred feet to 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 rocks. Head or not, yeah. head or not. Uh-huh. So, so, wow. Yeah. So and see. so after that, <laughs> you know, you have this very narrow escape, probably full of adrenaline, and then. What, did you just get back on the bike, or or was that like, did you get rid of the bike, or how did how did that go afterwards? Oh, well, <laughs> well, the thing is, the bike bounces back onto the road because it hits the inflated front tire, and so then we pick the bike up. There's really no damage other than a scraped roll bar, and my brother Cecil says. Wow, you're some lucky that you hit that post. Your bike would have been wrecked. And I kind of agreed. And that was the end. We never gave it another thought. We just get on it and roar off. Really? Yeah. There was no sense of like, holy crap, maybe we should like get rid of the bikes. No. Huh. No. And so so about these bikes is that it was just, we were young men. We were just invincible. And and what, what happened is that we would pass cars on the yellow line driving the bikes. And we always counted on the fact that the car coming towards you would move over a little bit. You don't need that much room. And we do that all the time. So when you say you passed cars, you would squeeze between an oncoming vehicle and the vehicle that you were passing. Right down the double yellow line. <laughs> and were people freaked out? Did they don't know their because horn? it happened too fast, right? Uh-huh. There's a car coming at you at 50 mile an hour, you're going that way, and it's over. 
Did, so, were but, you doing that on purpose? Like, yeah, would you because, wait until there was an oncoming car just to... Well, we felt we didn't need to because the oncoming car would always move over. I know, but were you doing it on purpose? Yeah. Like, you'd wait until there was an oncoming no, no, car no. and then do it then? No, we just passed regardless of what was oh, happening okay. with yellow lines. Okay. And so, and then sometimes, I can remember a few times, you pass... And there's a car coming towards you at 50 mile an hour, and you're going 50 mile an hour this way, and it would happen so fast. And I can remember having moments when I thought, oh, oh, I'm going to die here. But then in seconds, it's over. And so that only bolsters your sense of invincibility. So it's just, yeah. Do you think that you had kind of a death wish? No. We just simply believed that it would all work out. Uh-huh. And the thing is, it always did. <laughs> so, so, but the thing is, you know, this is why they send 19-year-old boys to war. <laughs> and oh, then, I shouldn't even be laughing. Yeah. And then Joyce and I toured the battlefields of World War I few years back, right? And then you have acres and acres and acres and acres of white crosses. And so all of those crosses are dead soldiers, and they were all 18, 19, 20 years old. And so day two, it's this sense of youthful invincibility. Those kids, and if I had been alive, if I had been at a stage where I could, I would happily have joined up. Because that sense of in, invincibility, I could have gone to war. No worries, I'm not going to get hurt. Huh? So, so that's. Uh, yeah. When do you think in your life you had your very first sense of, oh, I am mortal, I could die. I think with the skitter accident. Like around what age? I don't know, 38. Oh, okay, okay. So we'll, we'll get to that one later. 36, something <laughs> like that. But at this time, boy, nothing can touch us. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you can join us for the next episode of The Many Near Deaths of John Heisinger.